My name's Greg Knapp. This is the Greg Knapp Experience, your 20-minute thrill ride for your commute or your workout. Well, Representative Adam Shifty Schiff is up to his old tricks. This time, he doctored a text message at the January 6th hearing. Texas Attorney General says puberty blockers for transsexual children are child abuse. The Biden judicial nominee up right now for confirmation says that the Senate and the Electoral College are anti-democratic. Pelosi sees nothing wrong with politicians trading stocks in the industries they oversee. And you remember that Bubba Wallace noose in the garage story in NASCAR and it was debunked. It wasn't really a hate crime. Well, that story is revived in a documentary. And it doesn't seem like they're focusing on the fact that it wasn't really a hate crime. Wait, what? It's all coming up in this edition of the Greg Knapp Experience. Let's go. So we'll start with the January 6th hearing. Of course, this is the hearing about the riot. It's the hearing where Pelosi wouldn't allow the Republicans to put on the committee the Republicans they wanted to put on the committee. And she just picked the ones that she knew would go along with what they were doing. And it's gotten kind of crazy if you've been following this. I haven't been diving into it too deeply because a lot of other people are doing a much better job in that than I would. But I had to jump in on this because Sean Davis over at The Federalist caught this. And he saw that during the January 6th hearing, Adam Schiff, remember him, Democrat, the guy that's leaked fake Donald Jr. emails. Remember, he said he, 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 got, he got the hacked WikiLeak emails early and then, you know, just shows the collusion. No, they got the dates wrong. You look at the email. The email that he got from some dude of the WikiLeaks stuff was made after the WikiLeaks emails had already been made public. And then there was Shifty Shift that fabricated the transcript of the 2019 phone call between Trump and the Ukrainian president. And he actually he actually just made stuff up. He said, he said, uh, he was acting like he was reading from the transcript. He said, I'm going to say this only seven times, so you better listen good. I want you to make up dirt on my political opponent. Understand? Lots of it. And on this and on that, I'm going to put you in touch with people. No, it was totally made up. And then he came out, oh, that was just a parody. And just on and on what Shifty Shift has done. Well, now he's been caught doctoring text messages between Mark Meadows, Republican, and Jim Jordan, Republican, about the election before the January 6th riot. And it trying to imply that, look what they were doing. They were trying to start this insurrection. I mean, this was... A... No, it's not true. He made up these text messages. Well, he didn't make them up. He just doctored them. Well, when you delete some things and add some things to a text message, you're pretty much making it up at that point, aren't you? All right. So during the hearing Monday night on the riot at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, Adam Schiff claimed to have proof that a member of Congress texted former White House Chief of Staff Mark Meadows to instruct former Vice President Mike Pence to overturn the 2020 presidential election results. But he misrepresented the substance of the text. He misrepresented the source. He doctored the original text message and he tried to make it look like a screenshot when they put it up as a graphic. So here's a little bit from Schiff. I want to display just a few of the messages he received from people in Congress. Talking about Chief of Staff Meadows. The committee is not naming these lawmakers at this time, as our investigation is ongoing. If we could cue the first graphic. So they put up this thing that looked like a screenshot of a text. This one reads, on January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as President of the Senate, should call out all electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. You can see why this is so critical to ask Mr. Meadows about, about a lawmaker suggesting that the former vice president simply throw out votes that he unilaterally deems unconstitutional in order to overturn a presidential election and subvert the will of the American people. But if you look at the full text message, 
which was actually just a message forwarded to Meadows from Representative Jim Jordan, Republican Ohio, the day before, on January 5. It was significantly longer than what Schiff read and put on the screen. Schiff erased significant portions of the text. He added punctuation that wasn't there, all to give the impression that Jordan was directing Meadows, that Jordan himself was directing Meadows to give orders to Pence on how to handle the electoral vote certification. However, here's the deal. The real text, the original text, was actually written by a Washington attorney and former Department of Defense Inspector General Joseph Smits. And it included an attachment. There was a four-page draft Word doc that Smits had written that detailed his legal reasoning for suggesting that Pence had the constitutional authority to object to the certification of electoral votes that were submitted by certain states. Now, the piece that Schmitz had sent to Jordan was actually published on a website the next day, January 6th. This is not some something that they've uncovered, some kind of unbelievable secret. And it even included the same discussion draft heading and timestamp that Schmitz sent to Jordan. So all this was where the Republicans were discussing what is constitutionally legal about what we can do about what we think is going on in this election. There is absolutely nothing wrong with discussing that. That is not insurrection. And in fact, if you get down to more of the details of what was really in that text, listen to this. Good luck tomorrow, Schmitz texted Jordan, January 5, including the Word document as an attachment. Schmitz then texted Jordan a three-paragraph summary of the Word document. And then Schiff used that and, you know, sliced it and diced it and put it up there to make it look like what he wanted it to look like. But, but here's what it really said. On January 6, 2021, Vice President Mike Pence, as president of the Senate, should call out all the electoral votes that he believes are unconstitutional as no electoral votes at all. And then there's a big dash. In accordance with guidance from founding father Alexander Hamilton and judicial precedents. Now, in the graphic, Schiff erased the final clause, talking about Alexander Hamilton, and erased the dash preceding it, and instead just put a period there and didn't even disclose that that's what they had done and made it a fake graphic making it look like a screenshot. But here's Schmitz continuing in the same text. No legislative act, wrote Alexander Hamilton in Federalist Number 78, contrary to the Constitution, can be valid. The court in Hubbard v. Lowe reinforced this truth, that an unconstitutional statute is not a law at all, is a proposition no longer open to discussion. And then he cites the case. Following this rationale, an unconstitutionally appointed elector, like an unconstitutionally enacted statute, is no elector at all. End quote. Now, you can agree or not agree with him, but this is a reasoned argument as they were trying to figure out what what are our options for what's going on right now with this election. Much like if you go back to 2000 and look at what all the Democrats were doing to try and overturn the election that Bush won and they thought Gore won. It is not an insurrection to try to figure out the best political play that you have. Schiff erased the final two paragraphs that I just read you. The final clause of the first paragraph of the text message before inserting that punctuation and never told anybody that's what they were doing. Nice, huh? Now, according to a source familiar with the matter, Schiff never even talked to Jordan to discuss the text messages. Nope. Nope. And if he had, he might have known that what Jordan was doing was relaying to Meadows without any comment an attorney's summary 
of that attorney's own legal argument. And in fact, as Sean Davis talked to multiple sources who regularly communicate with Jordan, they said Jordan doesn't write long texts. He texts things like, yes, call me. He doesn't do long text. He was simply forwarding a legal argument that was going around. Plus, he says, you have to remember what was going on at that time. People were sending around these law review articles and debates left and right because we had an interest in learning the facts and getting them right. And if it's somehow seditious in this country to debate or share a law review article on Alexander Hamilton's view on things, that's not really a country I want to be a part of anymore. Yep. That pretty much sums it up. Oh, and by the way, after Sean Davis got that article out that I was just going over with you, the January 6th committee did admit that it doctored the text message. Here's their statement. The select committee on Monday created and provided Representative Schiff a graphic to use during the business meeting, quoting from a text message from a lawmaker to Mr. Meadows. The graphic read blah, 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 right? In the graphic, the period at the end of that sentence was added inadvertently. The select committee is responsible and regrets the error. Right. So you inadvertently cut a sentence in half, eliminated the final two paragraphs, didn't explain why Schiff attributed the context of the text to Jordan and put a period there. Oh. Yeah, I can see how you could inadvertently do all that. Hey, in just a second, I want to talk about how a Texas attorney general is investigating pharmaceutical companies over these puberty blockers for trans kids. But I want to ask you, if you're enjoying the show and you think this is information that needs to get out there, would you join the movement of spreading the word to push back against the less view of America and rally around what makes America exceptional? So just tell three friends to tell three friends to listen to the podcast. Give them a link, get them started. Um, and also, if you could like the Greg Knapp Experience page on Facebook and spread that around, we can really get this movement going. So tell three friends to tell three friends, subscribe to the podcast, follow it, review it, all of that. Super appreciate you. <coughs> Excuse me. All right, so how about this? Um, this is from Tyler O'Neill. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton has announced an investigation in two pharmaceutical companies he says they are promoting hormone-blocking drugs for children with gender dysphoria. But the drugs have not been approved for that. Now, one of the companies told Fox News, no, we do not promote that drug. The other one did not get back to them. But here's what Texas AG Paxton says. Puberty blockers used on minors experiencing gender dysphoria or similar mental disorders is child abuse. Doctors, parents, guardians, counselors who aid and abet the use of puberty blockers in an improper manner are complicit in the abuse, as are prescription drug manufacturers, which is the basis of my investigation. He's transphobic. This guy's horrible. This guy's up. Okay, now hold on a second. Let's think this through for a second, because I said this when these things first started. I said, it is child abuse for you to give your kid puberty blockers. Greg, no, it's not. It's, pu- it's child abuse to not do it. Okay, now hold on a second. Let's think this through. Johns Hopkins has the definitive study, and there are others. They've replicated this many times, that if children are transgender before puberty, up to 80%, depending on the study, it hovers around 80% of these children, will revert back to aligning with their biological gender with no treatment at all. Just the passage of time. That's it. And they realign with their birth gender. So we're going to do puberty blockers on children when 80% of them don't need any treatment at all to realign with their birth gender and be fine. 
Does that sound like the right thing to do? Children who are too young to make any kind of decision without their parents and that we say their brain is still developing and all these kind of things that we say whenever they're making any other kind of decision. But this one decision that is so huge, we're going to let them make when they're five or eight or 10 or 12. And we're going to give them puberty blockers. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard of this thing called body integrity identity disorder. And I'm bringing it up as an example. People with BIID, they actually have this feeling inside that one of their perfectly fine limbs should not be part of their body. Like, man, I just know I'm not supposed to have this right hand. This right hand is not supposed to be here. Or this this left leg. I just don't need the, this left leg. is just something wrong with it. Or, or some of them even believe they should be paralyzed. And so some of them go so far as to they want to cut off their body parts so badly that they will mutilate themselves or cut themselves with a saw or a circular saw. I mean, it's it's awful. And so what do we do? Do we bring them into the hospital and say, oh, man, you feel like that right arm really isn't supposed to be there? We'll, get, we'll Don't worry. Come on in. We'll amputate your right arm and we'll do it in a nice way so that, you know, you're, you're safe and you won't die. But we'll take that arm off for you. No, of course we don't do that. What do we do? We sit down with them. We, we start the mental health process of getting them to understand that there's nothing wrong with their arm and their arm is supposed to be part of their body. And we do all kinds of stuff to help them. But if you're transgender, we start cutting off body parts and giving you puberty blockers. How about anorexia? You see these mostly young women, but some young men that they just feel like they're fat. No matter what, they feel like they're fat. They're getting thinner and thinner and thinner. They feel like they're fat. Some to the point of death. We don't say, oh, well, you feel fat. Well, if you feel fat, then you must be. So we're going to help you starve yourself to death. No, of course we don't. We do everything we can with mental health to help them understand what's really going on. So why is it that only for this one, only if you're transgender, do we say, well, if you feel that way, then we're going to help you change. And anybody who says there's a problem with that is transphobic. I, I, I don't understand how people like me that simply want to help people feel comfortable in their biological body. We are called transphobic. I mean, I, I could easily label the people who want to change people's sex into being sex phobic or I got male phobic or female phobic for whichever one it is. I mean, we can come up with something because I actually care about the people that are going through an amazingly difficult time. I can't imagine what it would be like to feel like I should really be a woman in a man's body. But the answer is not, let's just chop off body parts. The answer is not, give a 13-year-old puberty blockers. So back to the story. Paxton has opened the investigation into the companies of Endo Pharmaceuticals and V Inc. Now, Endo Pharmaceuticals says we don't do this. V did not respond to Fox News yet on that, so we don't know. Uh, there is also a doctor interviewed in this story, Dr. Michael Laidlaw, independent private practice endocrinologist in California, and said the off-use the off-label use of these medications for gender dysphoria is dangerous. Said in this case, the healthy child has already begun normal puberty. See, there these puberty blockers were designed for kids to go through puberty way too early, like at five, six, seven years old. And when they take them, it stops puberty f for the time being. And then when they get to the age that puberty should stop, start, excuse me, they cease the medications and they go through normal puberty and everything's fine. But if you're going through regular puberty and you use these, that's different. The healthy child has already begun normal puberty. The medication is given to block it. And blocking it has numerous unhealthy side effects. 
loss of normal bone development, interference with normal brain and social development. It causes infertility and sexual dysfunction, and many of these are irreversible. People run around and go, oh, well, it's not a big deal because you stop taking the medication and, and puberty will be fine and everything. It's totally reversible. No, it's not totally reversible, and it's child abuse, and I'm glad somebody's finally doing something about it. We'll see how that plays out. There's a video showing Joe Biden's judicial nominee, Dale Ho, attacking the Senate and the Electoral College as anti-democratic. It's from 2018, and that should trouble you a little bit. Quote, we had obviously lots of practices that are anti-democratic, that entrench in some ways minority rule in this country. And I'm talking about things like, you know, the Senate, the Electoral College, and the male distribution of political power that results from those institutions. That's from 2018 at the National Civic Leadership Training Summit. Now, Ho is the director of the American Civil Liberties Union Voting Rights Project. And so he's saying these things out of the Constitution are anti-democratic. Well, first of all, this is a republic. See, the founders knew that pure democracy would be mob rule and didn't want it. We didn't want mob rule and we didn't want it to switch every, every, with every change of the wind. We didn't want the majority just rolling over the rights of the minority. So the original constitution had a balance of a popular representation and a state representation in our government. So we had the house set up under the constitution with direct election by the people. And every two years you get reelected and you have more of those representatives, the more people are in your state, right? And it's a fairly rapid change. You get mad at the Congress, you can switch that thing around pretty quickly. It's every two years. That's why it's called the People's House. Then we go to the Senate. Now, the Senate was set up for states' rights and states' interests. And the original way it was set up in the Constitution, the state legislatures actually elected your United States senator. Now, we amended the Constitution to change that so that you get to vote for your U.S. senator. But it's still supposed to be the states' part of the whole setup and it's a kind of rotating six-year deal so that everyone in the Senate is not up for election every year, where everyone in the House is every two years. So that was set up by the Constitution. The Electoral College also to provide balance in this representative republic so that states would have more say, so that a super populated state like New York or Florida or California couldn't just roll over the rights of a not very populated state like Wyoming. That's how it was set up. And Ho should know that and should understand that that's part of what a republic is. But no, no, he wants to tell you they're anti-democratic. And Ed Morrissey points out something good here. He said, look, if you're a democracy activist, why would you seek out a lifetime appointment as an unelected federal judge. I mean, if if you think everything should be direct democracy, why would you take that job? Why wouldn't you say, hey, President Biden, you should really push to make it so that every judge is elected? Now, in many states, they are. And in other states, they're appointed and then they're uh, up for retainment by election every so many years. So why doesn't he do that? And how about this? A federal judge, just like every elected official, swears to uphold the Constitution. So if he thinks that the Constitution, which establishes the Senate and the Electoral College, are anti-democratic, then how can he swear to uphold his oath to the Constitution? You know, we really should ask any leftist elected uh, official or judge that, shouldn't we? Because so many of them say so many of the things in the Constitution are horrible. Hmm. Oh, and six years ago, 
the same guy compared voter ID laws to chemotherapy. He said, we always have to weigh the costs against the methods. So let me talk about a second about what you asked. The question about does this enhance the integrity of our elections, right? This was at uh, uh, an ACLU voting rights project discussion, okay? He said, uh, you know, obviously we all believe that, in, that election integrity is important, right? I don't know if everybody said yes because everybody in that room probably didn't. <laughs> obviously all of us are against voter fraud, right? Uh, the question that I think we have to ask ourselves is whether or not the mechanism that we're using to try to prevent this problem is appropriate to the task. I'm against cancer, but I don't think everyone in this room should get chemotherapy. This is talking about voter ID to vote. So actually showing who you are to make sure that there isn't vote fraud is akin to chemotherapy for cancer. And this guy is nominated by Biden to be a federal judge. We got some problems. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi has rejected the idea that politicians should not trade stocks in the industries that they oversee. Asked this by an insider. Insiders put together this long, really deep investigation. It's called Conflicted Congress. I highly recommend you go look at it. It's a five-month-long investigation by insider. And they were looking at what our politicians are doing in trading stocks. And they looked at 49 members of Congress, 182 senior congressional staffers, had all violated the Stock Act. Now, that's a law to prevent insider trading. And it doesn't look good. And a lot of these people go to Congress. They're not very rich. They come out and they're super rich. And you're wondering, how is this happening? Well, this is one of the ways. But Speaker Pelosi says about barring members of Congress and their spouses from trading stocks, we're in a free market economy. They should be able to participate in that. Well, yeah, but how about if they did it through, you know, mutual funds that they can't really manipulate the stocks in, inside of those? Or how about if they did it with a blind trust so they don't know what their uh, stock guy is trading and that way it wouldn't, you know, influence what they do in Congress. And it wouldn't influence the people who bring things in front of them in Congress. I don't, you know, maybe like what happens to the president. That's what the president has to do. Drew Hamill's a spokesperson for Pelosi, said the speaker prefers a transparency-focused approach. The Stock Act exists to shine a bright light on trades by members of Congress. And sunlight is the best disinfectant. Mm -hmm. Pelosi's husband is a big-time investor and has made... Millions and millions. She's one of the richest people in Congress. And here's what Hamill said, her spokesperson. The speaker does not own any stocks. As you can see from the required disclosures, with which the speaker fully cooperates, these transactions are marked SP for spouse. The speaker has no prior knowledge or subsequent involvement in any transactions. Mm -hmm. Look, there are all kinds of people in Congress who are trading stocks in industries they oversee as part of their committee assignments. Things like defense, healthcare, energy, and they're making money. They're making a lot of money. Alex Ninsberg points out that a former director of the Office of Government Ethics, Walter Schaub, nominated by Obama, served in the post from January 2013 to July 2017, said Pelosi is crazy. Quote, what a disgusting comment. This is the opposite of government ethics. Nobody kidnapped these members of Congress when they were private citizens, dragged them to Washington, and forced them to be in Congress. The American people are sick of members of Congress buying and selling stock and creating the appearance of trading on insider information. I wish we were sick of it. I think most people don't even know about it. He goes on. They should absolutely be banned from trading stocks. Let them buy diversified mutual funds. Yeah, let them buy government bonds, but bar them from trading stocks for crying out loud. 
one last thing. He says, it's ridiculous. She may as well have said, let them eat cake. Sure, it's a free market economy, but your average schmuck, and I would say average person, thank you, doesn't get confidential briefings from government experts chock full of non-public information directly related to the price of stocks. Absolutely right. Oh, by the way, Pelosi's husband, let's see, he owns millions of dollars in Amazon, Apple, Comcast, Visa, stock options, and Google's parent company, but nothing to see here. Move along. Nothing here to see at all. Hey, NASCAR's Bubba, Bubba Wallace. Remember that story about the noose in his garage? He's a black driver in NASCAR. Well, there's a ESPN documentary coming out, and they tweeted this out about it. Last year, a noose was found in Bubba Wallace's stall at Talladega Super Speedway. The next day, the NASCAR community stood with him in unity. I was like, holy S, it's the whole garage. That's when I lost it, he said. And then there's a preview. The problem is the tweet nor the video preview actually remind people that there was an FBI investigation done into this as a hate crime. And they found out that that noose was actually a garage pull, you know, to pull the garage up and down. And it had been there since 2019, way before Bubba Wallace used that garage. They used the garage as they come to the speedway and it's a different garage every time you show up and nobody would have known which garage Bubba Wallace was in. It was not planted there for Bubba Wallace. It was not a race crime at all. It was not a crime at all. That's what the FBI found. You would think that would be kind of prominent. No, 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 no. They're turning this into a Justice Smollett situation. So there is this, as you watch this, you're like, what is going on? But Wallace took issue with what the FBI found, and he went on Don Lemon's CNN show and argued that people want to call it a garage pull. Pull out old videos and photos of knots as their evidence, but from the evidence that we have, that I have, it's a straight-up noose. Whether tied in 2019 or whatever, it was a noose. So it wasn't directed at me, but somebody tied a noose. That's what I'm saying. Um, so? So somebody used a noose knot as the garage pull. So what? Anytime a noose is tied now, it's automatically against black people? Even when it has nothing to do with any black person around? Uh, it, it gets crazier. Wallace's journey to prominence in the world of racing is included in the documentary. The news incident, though, serves as the film's climax. It's presented as confirmation of the indictments of America that Wallace lays out as it progresses. And despite the evidence to the contrary, Wallace and his family continue to believe a noose was placed in Wallace's garage to send a message. Wallace submits that the 15 FBI agents got it wrong. He said that not took time to do. It's a noose. His sister called the investigation bull bleep and insisted we're never going to find out who did it. You know, there was nothing to find out. NASCAR president Steve Phelps said there wasn't a hate crime. Isn't that a good thing? There wasn't a hate crime. Thank God there wasn't a hate crime. Yes. Yes, exactly. Shouldn't we be happy? Oh, good. It wasn't a hate crime. Let's move along. No, no, no. Wallace won't let it go. Look at this picture. What's it look like to you? Is that news to you? You tie your shoes like that? So does Wallace and his sister want it to be a hate crime? Because it's not. I, I, I'm really confused with this. Are we having to... Look, if America is so systemically racist, as they claim, then we don't have to make up hate crimes. There would be plenty to see all the time. So something's wrong with that picture. And I think it's because America is not systemically racist. Oh, speaking of Jesse Smollett, fake hate crimes, the only black juror on the panel for Jesse Smollett said, yes, we believed he was lying to Chicago police. And he said, for me, 
The big thing, you would not leave a noose on your neck as a black man. He said, I would have ripped it off and kept it off. Quote, as an African-American person, I'm not putting that noose back on at all. So if you're not familiar with this, Jesse Smollett, he said that these these people put the noose on his neck as they were beating him up and calling him names and saying this is mega country and all that nonsense that didn't happen. And, you know, of course he took it off. But when he got back to his condo and he was in the he was waiting for the police to come, he put the noose back on his neck just so the police would see it. Huh? Yeah, that's exactly what this black juror said. He said, as an African-American person, I'm not putting that noose back on at all. Hope was not the only black person who had a problem with that. One was the police officer, Eddie Johnson, Chicago police superintendent. When Smollett said he was attacked, he said, I was concerned because I don't think there's many black people in America with a noose around their neck who wouldn't immediately take it off. Mm hmm. Oh, and finally, a little Merry Christmas for you. Ontario Provincial Police up in Canada, they say they received a call about a suspicious vehicle at about 7.20 a.m. Monday. And they went and looked, and there was this vehicle in a hayfield. And when they got there, they looked inside, and there was a little five-year-old kid. A little five-year-old kid was driving it, a little boy. And they asked him, what's going on? He said, well, I wanted to go to the store and buy a pink toy tractor for my little sister. Thankfully, the kid was not hurt. Minor damage to the car. Parents are not being charged, but the police said they do want to remind parents, be aware where your children are and keep the keys somewhere they can't get them. Hey, I just got this to say, first of all, unbelievable that kid could drive that far at five years old. Secondly, at least his heart was in the right place. I mean, this kid really loves his sister. Merry Christmas. This is the Greg Knapp Experience. (laughs) 